0: This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world, welcoming the LGBTQ community today and every day. The content of this radio show is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified health professional with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition. Welcome to One Soul Radio, an interactive conscious conversation grounded in psychology and inspired by spirit with Steve Hassenberg and Kelly Alpert. Hello, friends, and welcome to One Soul Radio here on Unity Online Radio. This is the show that is for you and by you. And I have a little little frog in my throat, pardon me. A virtual uh, community creating conscious conversation and the opportunity to have a place to delve a little deeper into your life than you may do on your own. We are the show that is grounded in psychology and inspired by spirit offering you a unique perspective from both worlds at the same time. My name is Callie Alpert, here in the Central Hudson Valley in New York with my dear friend and spiritual psychotherapist, Steve Hasenberg.
1: Hello. Nice, nice to see you again, Callie. Nice to see you and hear you. Thank you. I want to give a shout-out today okay. to a wonderful movie that's on Apple+. Plus. Mm -hmm. And it's called The Year the Earth Changed. Mm -hmm. And it's David Attenborough, who at 93 is still going full guns. And it's a it's a extraordinary piece that was filmed during the lockdown in seven different countries. Uh, The drone shots of empty streets or something mm -hmm. else. Mm
2: -hmm. But
1: even more than that, it's how the. Animals repopulated the world. Yeah. And it's just wonderful. Yeah.
0: Well, shout out to Sir David, number one, because he is such a legend and an icon and he's devoted so much of his life and used his platform, even though it's not what it was called when he was starting out, he was way ahead of the curve, um, in environmentalism and animal rights and mother earth and all those things. So, um, yeah, you remember we talked about it the other day, and I have mm-hmm. to—I know I've seen bits and pieces. I think I might have watched the whole thing a while ago, and I have to re, I have to revisit it. But absolutely, what I've seen and remember is beautiful. So, shout out to them. Um, and sort of a little bit of a segue into our show today, because we are talking about the different ways that um, we've been climbing out of, slowly but surely, hopefully climbing out of COVID. So today, I ask our listeners or actually I will um, request of them to raise your hand if you love change and uncertainty. Everyone, (laughs) I see one hand raised, and that would be Steve's. Buddhist teachings remind us that uncertainty is natural to ordinary life. The more we can make peace with that reality by finding the safe refuge that resides in each of us, the less we will suffer. But as the world hopes to turn a collective corner coming out of a pandemic, I think many of us share an expectation or hope that we're wiser, we're bolder, we're clearer on what our lives mean and where we're going. I know I've spent a lot of time trying to come up with answers, but then I wonder if I really have. Um,
1: so, you is it, have it
0: Have I? All right. Well, then you can help me. You can oh, you can okay. be my my testimony there because sometimes you know I'm not so sure. Um, but I think everybody desires that. So the question becomes: Are we are we actually clear and have we learned um, our lessons, or are we continuing uh, with a lot of unknowns that we face in our personal lives and the world at large? Because it's still quite a cluster out there, and things are still murky. So today, the show is the beauty of uncertainty. We're going to discuss the many ways that uncertainty continues to plague us and offer ways to embrace and perhaps even celebrate the beauty of uncertainty.
1: Beauty is an interesting word that we're using.
0: I know. it's. You know, uh, I when, hope...
1: I, when I looked at the title again after I printed the pages out, <laughs> uh-huh. I thought, who on their right mind would use the <laughs> word beauty? Are we going to over-promise
0: and under-deliver by using that word?
1: Yeah, I would say... I I would use the maybe the word raw beauty, mm. right? Mm-hmm. Because when people mm-hmm. are going through t- periods of uncertainty, it certainly isn't beautiful, right? So somehow we're going to explain why that word... Wound up ahead of uncertainty. <laughs> All right, once we can figure it out for ourselves. <laughs> Although, not to get
0: too, like, digressive here right out of the gate, but why not? You know, I've often, when I think of the word beauty, you know, my definition, we've talked about this in other shows, maybe when we did our Perfectly Imperfect <laughs> show, Wabi Sabi <clears throat> show. Um, I actually find most raw, unpolished, unfinished, um, like you said, raw things more beautiful. I, mm-hmm. I find more beauty and imperfection. I'm drawn to that in people's faces when I photograph them, oh. buildings I gravitate to when I'm traveling. I'm not into shiny and new and nice, clean, soft lines. I like things that have a little bit more edge to them just as my aesthetic. So
1: I don't know. But maybe well, let me let me mention something about that.
0: Oh yes, please do.
1: So when I was in Florence, what I was most attracted to was Michelangelo's unfinished sculptures. Mm-hmm. And I love them because you could see the the stone and there was so much stone and then you'd see this polished, beautiful piece. Mm. And I was very moved by that because of the absolute rawness of it. And you get the sense of a movement.
0: Yeah.
1: How one uh, uh, an um, amorphous stone could be turned into that kind of beauty. Mm, beautiful. And I think he must have felt very uncertain now that I'm thinking about it, about what was going to be created. He always said that he saw the form in the stone and um, he would have to follow that form with his chisel. But I'm sure there's a tremendous amount of uncertainty in that kind of thing. There certainly is in the paintings that I do.
0: I was just going to say we're coming up, yeah, like a whole different... um... There is a whole metaphor here that we really didn't intend on starting with today, but just how um, if we look at ourselves as the ultimate um, art project or, or, or art in progress, right, work of art, I guess, um, and we look at our lives as getting us to that final work of art, whatever that means while we're here on Earth, that it is a big, uh, it is a big jump into uncertainty, in the name of landing in a beautiful place. I don't know if that feels like too much of a stretch, but to me it's very clear just based on the way we're starting this conversation today.
1: Maybe we'll use the word art of living.
0: Or Maybe, yeah, we could also change up the show title by the end of it. <laughs> Why not? We're fluid, right? Yeah. Um, so in in getting back to uh, this topic Which, you know, again, life is constantly full of change and fluidity and uncertainty, but it feels like that word and this topic has been magnified um, through COVID um, and this, you know, global situation that we've all shared to varying degrees, where the paradigms have really been stripped away. Everything that we have defined ourselves by or thought is. Worthy of defining us by, and we'll talk more about that, has been stripped away. But I know you wanted to start with the just even the word paradigm, right? And like what that
1: means and uh, yeah, why that's the word important. paradigm. Yeah. Aside from the fact that it's a wonderful wine. Oh, right. You did say that.
0: You have some insight. Yeah. You have some insider. Uh, I have
1: insider. Uh, insider. I have the ability to get Paradigm Wine from Napa County Mm -hmm. for free, so Mm -hmm. it's wonderful. Shout out to that person. (laughs) So uh, what is a paradigm? A paradigm is, uh, I don't even know, I don't even know how to describe it. It's a uh, model. It's a uh, way of looking at the world. It's a perceptual model. A structure
0: on some level? Or is that like a climate? Like a structure or climate? A
1: structure. They talk about paradigms a lot in science. Mm. So the paradigm before Galileo was the earth was the center of the universe. And that's how people lived. And after Galileo, the earth was not at the center that's why he was going to be burned at the stake but the earth was revolving around the sun which was the center of the universe so that's a paradigm it's the way we make sense of things and what we're saying in the beginning here is that and we're going to go through a list of them all these paradigms are changing right (laughs) <laughs> I'm just laughing. I'm like,
0: imagine if that was the bar of getting burned at the stake or whatever the parallel of that is nowadays.
2: Was, it was.
0: You know, I, I mean, just imagine if that was still our our bar. Um, our bar, oh, yeah, our bar right? has changed a lot since then, <laughs> for better or worse. Um, so, different types of paradigms or structures, the ways that we've defined ourselves, the things that have helped us to be safe, that have given us a sense of identity, a sense of definition are very macro and micro, right? So the bigger ones have everything to do with institutions like our um, political systems, our church churches and our faith systems, um, our uh, bigger institutions, educational systems, right? Um,
1: our, our gender.
0: Me- gender, our uh, media.
1: Gender fluidity. hmm Can um, you say what some of these shifts are?
0: Yeah, well I would say so if I, I was gonna establish like those bigger the oh, macro good. and then like more of the micro that are more in the personal
1: yeah. like you
0: just dipped into, which would be right, Gender, gender identity, um relationships in general, your job, your marriage, your relationship with your pet. I mean, I'm not, not trying to be cute, but just um, you know, the kind the money that you make, uh, where you live, um, the way you show up, the way you dress. Like there's so many different ways and in which we attach to things to make us feel like we've found that we've, we're finding our way
1: right i think a good example of a paradigm shift is i had a friend who was a composer and he used to dress like hip hop artists in town that i live in and nobody would dress like that and so he was walking around as a living paradigm shift mm. and it was very it was very <laughs> interesting to try to understand that, so certainly we have extraordinary changes in gender. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, the model of the man, my father, bringing the bacon home,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and my mother being the housewife taking care of the kids. Mm-hmm. That's another paradigm. Yeah, it's been shifting in
0: so many different ways for so many decades. Right. Yeah and then even the way people are identifying with their own bodies and their own sexuality and what that means. Right. Now, now it's not even necessary, necessarily the case that, you know, if you're born with a certain anatomy, that that means you have, you know, a certain predisposition or certain in- inclination or orientation. You know, it's all um, very, very fluid.
1: We can talk about what's going on in the Catholic Church, which is very sad. Mm-hmm. And um, all the cases of pedophilia, which those in, this, in, in, in themselves are very horrifying, but also the change in, as you were saying, faith, faith in the doctor and faith in the priest, faith in these individuals who we have trusted for a thousand years. And now right. where's the faith Right. or the faith in expert doctors during COVID? Right. A lot of people didn't consider them expert doctors. Right. Some people considered them authoritarian figures. Right. Charlatans or
0: whatever. Again, like the politicizing of everything, the lack of trust in our, like we talked about the other night, you know, our um, media organizations and the news, supposed news, are now fake news that gets presented to us. Our leaders, um, it just feels like the idea of grounding
1: and trust
0: has been very blown up in so many ways that how do we even know where to turn?
1: And I was telling you the other day um, that my kids, who are in their 20s and 30, um, don't trust anything. Mm. And we have arguments about it. And they say there's no way of finding truth. Yeah. And I say there is a way of finding truth, and it has to do with aligning with yourself, which we're going to talk about later. Right. So I don't want to give too much away, (laughs) but I understand their position Yeah. because of Facebook, because of Twitter, because of all the hate speech and all that stuff. Right. And
0: just all the... uh editorializing and, and commentary that's coming out of what we're supposed to be uh objective news organizations i just want to say if you're if you're just joining us you're listening to one Soul radio we are talking about the beauty of uncertainty first we're establishing the larger scale of what uncertainty looks like these days and then we're going to talk about why it can potentially be beautiful if you'd like to join us, we'd love to hear from you. The number is 816-251-3555. Please call in to share your stories. If you need a little counsel or thoughts or want to bounce some ideas off of us, we, we, um, we welcome the interaction. Um, so let's, let's move a little bit more toward – first of all, we'll talk about our, um, our, our friend and teacher – both at up close and afar, different stages in our life, Don Miguel Ruiz, author most famously of the Four Agreements, who um, this is one of his biggest pieces of of teachings, has to do with the indoctrination is the word that he uses a lot. And the way that we, you know, from the moment we're born, we're, we're quote unquote, taught where a story, a narrative is sort of embedded into us that we're acting a certain way. We're born to a certain family and our faith system is going to look a certain way. And we're going to get educated in a certain way and we're going to have a certain job. And it goes on and on and on from there. And that really, um, at the core of it is, like you said, that it really, um, those things are all illusory or illusionary, illusory.
1: I like illusory.
0: Illusory. Mm-hmm. Um, I like saying it as long as I'm saying it <laughs> correctly. <laughs> um, and that really, the more we identify and the more we grab onto all of those identifiers, the more um, trouble we're going to find ourselves in. And so now that we're in a place, and it's not like the world hasn't blown up on a lot of levels for centuries in different ways. But since this is the one that's inside of our lifetime that we could talk about most readily and most universally, it does feel like people have really, me included, like really lost our footing, questioning more, confused, feeling just way more groundless. Um, I told you the other day that I, you know, it's funny or <laughs> or not, um, maybe not. not- not coincidental at all, um, that sometimes when we do these shows, I feel like I'm like the living breathing version of the challenge inside the show, certainly not the one with the answers. Um, and so lately I've been feeling a, the deepest sense of groundlessness I've felt in a really long time. Um, and I've had different places in my life like we all do where, where it's louder or not so loud. Um, but I woke up like twice last weekend, once in the middle of the night, and then once um, this Monday, woke up mm-hmm. so nervous, mm-hmm. which is very uncharacteristic for me, and so groundless that I felt like I was dangling in midair mm-hmm. on a thin mm-hmm. thread and mm-hmm. that all I wanted to do was be able to grab onto one thing to, you know, either belong to either a person, belong to a paradigm, belong to some security in whatever way, Um and that I didn't have anything to grab onto. And there have been times where I've known that feeling, but I can look at it with excitement as sort of as an opportunity to surrender more deeply into my personal, like, practice. And this was not that at all. This was just scary and uncomfortable. And I was just, like, anxious for, like, two and a half days straight. Wow. Um, so I can't speak to you. You gave me a few ideas about where that might have come from. Um,
2: mm-hmm.
0: But... The point is, is that to me is like a real feeling of groundlessness that's not typical for me. And it wasn't prompted by anything specific. I mean, I could be Uh a myriad of things that going on in my life, as we all can, that are tough and challenging on certain days. Um, But the point is, is that that's sort of the feeling that I speak about when I think about uncertainty, like in a really visceral way, a sense of
1: utter groundlessness. I like that, Callie. Why do you like that? Because it was very descriptive. I, it made me feel my own groundlessness. Really? Yeah. I mean, there are two things about that. One is that, and I, I'll talk about it later in the show, the fact that I've spent years making a friend of my groundlessness. hmm
0: mm-hmm.
1: And I can talk about that. But it brought up a experience that I had about six or seven, eight years ago. Mm-hmm. And this was coming out of my what listeners may who have listened, listeners who have listened <laughs> and are still listening and are still Hopefully. listening. My <laughs> <laughs> Epstein Bar siege, which went on for three years. Mm. And my dearest friend Linda kept who's a wonderful painter, kept saying, "Please come to my studio to my art class." because I think it could be wonderful rehabilitation for you. Mm. And I kept saying, no, no, no. (laughs) I didn't want anybody to see me, really, because I was an absolute mess and a wreck, couldn't think properly, couldn't speak properly, was shaking, all kinds of things Mm. were still taking place. And I finally went, I got up the courage to go, and I remember being in the class, being a little frightened. This is not something that I was ever used to, really, yeah. being frightened and humbled. And she gave me a paintbrush, put out paints, and she said, here's the canvas, create something. And all I can remember, this is the in quotes uncertainty. Mm mm-hmm. Probably some of the biggest uncertainty I've ever felt in my entire life, because, again, I didn't have access to my creativity. I didn't have access to my imagination. I didn't think. Right. Because your body was still dealing with the residual. My body was really uh, very, very fragile. And... When I put the paint on the paintbrush, my hand was shaking, mm. and I was hoping nobody would be wouldn't be looking at me. And so I something came out of me, and what came out of me was an interesting kind of abstract fish. <laughs> and I really liked it. and um, I held back my tears until later. But I thought, well, there's something to this. And that was coming out of an enormous feeling of fear, uncertainty, uh, walking into the unknown. And I kind of forced myself to do it. And the good news is that I'm still painting. And you're wildly talented. Very
0: good at it, I might say. Thank you. I have the benefit of seeing you right now. is because we were able to see each other when we do our shows and you have one of your beautiful pieces hanging over your right shoulder that I get yeah. to look at right now. Thank um, you. I'm going to give, can I give you a plug? Can I give you a little art plug? Sure. If anybody wants to see Steve's beautiful work, it's all on his website at stevehassenberg.com. I think it's under like a reflection section or art section. Yeah,
1: That's very good. Yeah. Everybody
0: check it out. Check it out. Um, so, yeah, and that's a great example of, like, reentering the world when in some ways, rationally or intellectually, you'd think, oh, I'm out of bed after three years, I'm reentering the world, this is grounding, just to be able to, like, be mobile and out and, like, back living your life, and yet the idea of starting again and having to redefine or re-challenge yourself in a new way is, must have been, like, a really groundless experience, you know, Um
1: I actually felt like I was falling backwards
0: mm-hmm. with no
1: way of stopping myself.
0: Yeah, yeah. I know that feeling so well. I mean, there's so many, you know, we talk again about the bigger piece of COVID um, because it has been, I want to say the great equalizer because we always, you know, we always recognize that everybody's right. had very unique experiences inside of this pandemic. But given that every person on the planet has been exposed to this situation in a, you know, universal way is... Um, Really powerful. And a lot of people have lost their loves, lost family members, have lost jobs, have lost their sanity, have lost their hope. Um, You know, groundlessness, I think, often results from what we think is a sense of loss.
1: Absolutely. Right. Right. So I'm going back to Don Miguel for a minute, just mm-hmm. to define that a little bit more. The The idea of indoctrination was that we get bound. It's, it has to do with being bound mm-hmm. and it has to do with being limited. And these are, the structures have importance. I don't want to say in any way they're not important, but they are because they define us and they define our ego and allows us to develop um, uh, what they call in psychology good ego development, right, which we need. But at the same time, the name, the label, the family, the religion, the success, the failure, the poverty, the wild wealth, those are all things that are very limiting in terms of a way of defining ourselves. Right. Right. And so when we, we're we using the word the beauty of uncertainty, we're saying that we can redefine ourselves by moving out of what's known and moving into the unknown from time to time to find new things about the universe, new things about us, take risks. All of those things are good for the development of character.
0: Mm. And it only happens when we um, lose something when we're in the middle of feeling like we are, yeah, and we're certainly not diminishing or disparaging the idea of these structures because, like you said, they're here for a reason mm-hmm. and we humans created them in the first place. But it's when we lose them and we can't function or we lose our mm-hmm. um, our sense of purpose and our sense of grounding that it becomes Um, more of an issue so we're going to go to a commercial break we're talking about the beauty of uncertainty we've established a little bit about where uncertainty comes from and when we come back we'll dig a little bit deeper into the beauty around uncertainty and remind our listeners that we are all way better equipped to handle uncertainty than we think we are we'll be right back Welcome back to One Soul Radio with Steve Hasenberg and Callie Alpert. Welcome back, everybody, to One Soul Radio here on Unity Online Radio. My name is Callie Alpert. I'm here with my dear friend, Sensei Extraordinaire. I haven't said that in a while, and I just love calling him that. Steve Hassenberg, and we are talking about the beauty of uncertainty, uncertain times, how we all know what that feels like in big and small ways, how collectively this planet and all of us little beings on it are experiencing a lot of dismantling in this last year and a half in even more intense ways. And so um, now I think it's time to move into how we can reframe this, how we can sort of help everybody and ourselves, or at least me, to remember how to harness the parts of our inner warriors that really have a lot more faculty to um, deal and process with uncertainty than we might even know, and that really this can all be looked at as a very beautiful and empowering thing if we just figure out the right way to process it, right?
1: Well, certainly um, right at the beginning of a big change, You don't feel that way. No, you feel like (laughs) shite. Right? You just don't feel that way. It's really scary. Mm -hmm, It makes you shake. Makes Mm -hmm. you wonder why you're on the planet sometimes. Mm -hmm. You know, we both know that really well. And so um, we're not saying that you're going to immediately have revelation. But what we're suggesting is in time... Whatever learning was supposed to come forward and whatever um, new parts of your character were going to be discovered, that's all a possibility. Because it really, you know, in so many ways, it's about rediscovering parts of ourselves that we haven't known, Mm. isn't it? Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's like finding patience that you didn't have before when you're going through something. Finding compassion, finding resilience that you mm-hmm. never knew you had. Courage. Courage, bravery. Rawness
0: in yourself, maybe, when things get stripped away that were like extra layers of clothes that you really you know don't need to wear on a hot day and that's, they're just like more exposed.
1: That's a great one. And so what it does, it pushes us to find new capacities, to widen out, to become bigger people, mm. maybe to even love more at the end. That's what you always say came out of your illness. It did. I really learned to love more and to be more compassionate toward myself in the middle of a nightmare.
0: Right. And you're not somebody... I didn't know you then, but I know you weren't somebody who needed to know much about lo- learn much about love. But I guess we're never... It's never up to us because I struggle with this a lot when I'm trying to process things and walk through them and have some space around them. Haven't I done this enough? Haven't I already learned? And the answer <laughs> is no. If it's still presenting itself or if you're, you know, we can go on the woo, woo direction here. If you're higher self, your are higher soul is still bringing certain stories and experiences to you, then no, you haven't learned enough yet, perhaps. You haven't surrendered That's quite right. enough yet. Or it's just um, that there's an opportunity to go deeper just when you don't want to. Thank you. for that. Uh, Thank
1: you, Callie. That's well, exactly it.
0: Well, I'm saying it out loud because I need to listen. I need to heed my own words here because it's, uh-huh. you know, in a lot of days it's not what comes naturally. So Right. Let's talk about some of these beautiful, they're not I, I was going to joke and say Pollyanna, but these are like based on real masters that um, have presented some beautiful um, quotes and sort of lessons um, about ways that we can remember how we're way more equipped and how um, like what's the the well Joseph Campbell, right? The path that you take is the one that you're ready for. That's one of your favorites that I
1: tend to Oops. carry with me a lot.: One of my favorite quotes. Should right. we talk about Joe?
0: Yeah, because I still, you know, again, when I try to put myself in the head of just, you know, our listeners or people that may might have not even started on their path or know that they have a path, you know, I always I could I could say easy for you to say, you know, how do <laughs> who know? How do we know that that's true? How,
2: right. do
0: we, how do we gain trust that that is really the case?
1: Joe Joseph Campbell, professor of mythology at Bard College. Um, One of the great legends in mythology in the 20th century, he actually said that quote, the the path that you've taken is the path you're ready for. Mm -hmm. And um, he came up with this idea that's used in most films and literature of the hero and heroine's journey. He actually didn't coin heroin. That was coined later by a female mythologist.
0: Ah, that I didn't know. Interesting. Makes but sense.
1: Because he was writing in 1949 before there were heroines, in <laughs> quotes. right?
0: There weren't any women on the planet then. so Right,
1: right. <laughs> and uh, the hero's and heroine's journey has to do with, very simply... You're going along leading a very normal life and all of your labels are on and especially your designer labels. (laughs) And then all of a sudden something happens. What happens? A child dies. There's an accident. Um, Your house burns down. The house burned down. The war takes place. Illness. Illness comes. A night, Too many nightmares in a row. Something happens
0: mm-hmm.
1: that throws what's been normal up into the air. Right. And what we try to do, we and most people do, and we talked about it before, in danger we try to put everything back together quickly. Right, all that's our pieces, human reflex. All the pieces of the puzzle, put them back together. But they don't go back together. Get back
0: to normal. That's one that's, that's very popular now. Let's get back to normal. That's
1: right, exactly. When are we going to get back to normal? Mm-hmm. Hurry up. Mm-hmm. So all the pieces are flown in the air, and they can't. they don't come back in the same way. And then you're faced with the unknown. You're faced with what's uncertain. And then you have to go inside, like I was talking about a few minutes ago, and find ways that you're going to move forward. And in doing that, we stretch ourselves a lot. And what Joe Campbell says, and it's more detailed than that, but we're not going into it. What Joe Campbell says, when you face the demon, and he's calling this the demon, the adversity, and you do it well, you come back to yourself. Different, but with superpowers.
0: Mm, So beautiful, so beautiful. You know, I relate to that on so many levels. So we're going to get momentarily. We'll get into some like how what are those some of those coping mechanisms can be, and actually some of the steps that can help walk you through this process. Which, first of all, you have to decide that you want to. A lot of people don't want to, or it's not what their, um, you know, their sensibility is about. Um, but probably if you're listening to the show, there's, a, there's a little piece of you that, you know, that is capable of at least wanting to and desiring that everybody, everybody desires getting through their pain. Um, but if you reframe it so you can get to your lessons or get more deeply to yourself then you know, even an extra step to take, you know, but I think about all the times still, I'm still in it on so many levels, all the times in my life, different chapters where all the external markers were just really, um, challenged for different reasons, um, whether it's a relationship or money or professional or family or parents or trauma as a child or, you know, just a, a whole load of, um, of, of different death of my boyfriend years ago. I mean, we all have, you know, um, different things that happened through the course of our lives. And. What I've realized is that, um, first of all, once I have committed to number therapy and a practice and found my different tools, certainly it helps tremendously. And it's always a work in progress. But to have that toolbox being built and make that commitment to yourself is a really empowering, empowering and beautiful thing. And it got to the point where I think I said this to you a few years ago. There were times where I was like in a really dark place. And I almost found it sexy and exciting because I felt like I was summoning up my inner warrior princess, like right. the part of me that was really needing to come out and grow and find a voice in a way that was being forced, you know, of me. Uh-huh. Um, but then the next day, I was exhausted and miserable and couldn't stand it. And this whole practice and therapy, and it's all bogus. And, you know, I mean, so my point in saying all this is that the pendulum's always swinging when you're in this process. There's days where it feels really heartening, there's days where you feel really defeated, there's days where you don't. I know you've even said there were times when you were sick where you wanted to forgo like any of your practice and your, you know, belief system. Oh, well I wanted to so, get off the planet, right, yeah, I mean, there's plenty of days where I'm like it would be so much easier if you know um if, if I wasn't going through all this, if I was already in you know floating on a cloud somewhere, so I think one of the one of the points I'm trying to make is that this is always a work in progress. It's never easy, it takes a real commitment and a desire, and it switches it it switches itself up constantly, it's just a constant swing from one side to the other until slowly but surely. Um, the pendulum starts to settle closer to the middle, and the swings don't feel as extreme. Um, but the first thing you have to do is, is honor the fact that you're in a really tough place, and give yourself permission not to soldier through and to feel the pain.
2: Right. We always say
0: that, right? To let to to just make sure that you give yourself enough love and enough space to feel what you're feeling.
1: Exactly. And, right, because otherwise you're not going to get anywhere. Beautiful description, Callie. Thank you. I'm putting it in my book.
0: (laughs) Um, so take it from there and then uh, and we'll take our our caller today.
1: Oh, we have some callers on.
0: I think I I see a caller or two that are being screened right now as we speak. But after that, let's get I want to hear more about like what you were saying, when you get to the place where you know you're really trying to find an opportunity to go further, leaning lean further into this discomfort. We can We can hear our screener. We can hear our screen. I don't know if everybody else can hear, but maybe we can. Yeah, I'm not sure if everybody else could hear
1: that, but we heard that. Go ahead, Steve. Okay, so what I was talking about before was the idea of making friends with or making peace with the fact that life is groundless. Right. And What do I mean by that? It means in a very simple way that I don't even know what my next thought is going to be. Mm. We don't think about this. <laughs> but who knows what I'm going to say next? Good <laughs> Lord.
0: That means I should actually put a delay on your microphone but
1: that's a I separate. I think you better. Story, yeah. I have no idea what it's going <laughs> to come out of my mouth. And and that's how uncertain things are, right? Such a that's such
0: a great simple mundane and active example
1: and so what i've done over so many years is i've systematically made peace or made friends with the groundless and how have i done that primarily i've done that through meditating and so because meditation takes you from this surface value of thought to a condition of quiet or silence, I have made friends with silence. It's another way of thinking about uncertainty.
0: Mm, Beautiful.
1: And so that silence has become part of my life. And so if you, and I don't live in it all the time, but I live in it the majority of time. And so this talking that I'm doing is really coming out of a place of quiet. Mm. It's coming out of silence. And so when I'm faced with adversity, there's always silence there to be a partner to me. And uh, also with silence, there's a spaciousness. Right. So I have this reservoir inside of me that's there in the face of circumstance, that's there in the face of adversity. And that's available to everyone. Right. It's our birthright. Right. That, that's right. That's really how we come in. Talk about the statue earlier.
0: That is what's residing inside that untouched piece of marble or clay or whatever we're being carved out of. Right. Is that is the silence. Um. I just uh, there's some another analogy that I was going to. Uh, I, you know, I remember when um, uh, I started therapy with my, when I, when I moved from Los Angeles back to New York city and I um, met my second therapist of my life who I was with for 10 or 15 years. And I remember I was talking about this relationship that was really new to me that I was really excited about. And I was going away with this man to, you know, a festival or whatever it was. And, um, I remember she said to me, I can't remember the words, but basically it was my first lesson in remember that that's not permanent that positive stuff's uh-huh. not permanent. Uh-huh. Um, and I remember being really angry and frustrated. Like, what do you mean? Don't cramp my style. I'm really excited uh-huh. about this weekend. Right. But it was just, you know, to the point of like always sort of staying in that middle ground and creating that space so that you don't get attached to when things are supposedly right. quote unquote good or bad and that you have that, that reservoir. But this is what I was going to say. When I first learned um, TM for the first time, uh, I was working at the Dr. Osho and, they brought it in and it was just a great gift to our staff. And one of the very first things we've learned like day one, and you would know from all your years of teaching it, is the ocean metaphor that we dwell with our thoughts and our active minds on the top of the, you know, the wave activity. And the more you meditate and go deeper down into stillness, the more you're descending to the quiet toward the ocean floor. So it's kind of a cool, um, just another another visual for your beautiful description. Shall we take our call? We have a caller caller today, yes. Caller, are you there? I'm here. Hi. 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 What's your name and where are you calling from?
2: Um, I'm Jan, and I'm calling from Los Angeles. Um,
0: Welcome. Do you have a question or a
2: comment? I've got a question. Um, um, I've been suffering because I've recently lost two dogs Mm. who were... My deepest loves and companions, and my life without them just seems so lonely and uncertain. Mm. Um, how how can I heal some of this experience I'm going through?
0: Well, first of all, blessings for the loss of your and your pets. And within a cl- uh, short time frame is doesn't make it any easier for sure. Um, yeah. Well. Grief is grief is grief is grief, which I think you should speak to. But it's the, the the depth of grief that people feel for pets and humans can be very comparable.
2: Oh, it's the same. I I lost my my husband um, when I was twenty five, mm. and I'm in my early seventies now, and losing. Uh, my boys the pain is the same the loss is the same mm. love is love and loss is loss you
1: know maybe she should
0: yeah i'm going to put you on hold jen and we're going to answer your question because we're getting a lot of background noise but thank you so much for your question hold on please and we're going okay. to speak to okay okay
1: Okay, so as Callie was saying, I can reiterate, I have a few things to say. Yes, grief is grief, and grief lasts. I, I'm This question comes to me so often. I'm still grieving, and it's a year later. I'm still grieving, and it's two years later. I'm still grieving, and it's three years later. What's wrong with me? Mm-hmm. And I always say there's nothing wrong with you. Right. And this is step one, I think. Whatever you're feeling is real. Whatever you're feeling is authentic. And to be with that is very, very important. Um, The second thing that I would say, and this is a little different. Uh, When we go through loss, and again, I'm not talking about the first few months, I'm not even talking about the first year, but after a while, when we go through loss, our tendency is to recycle the loss over and over again, and that's natural. There's nothing wrong with it. But what I tell some of my clients is, let's start recycling a celebration of the experience that you had with the person or the animal that you lost. Mm. And so what does that mean? It means the beauty that came into your life. If we can start putting our attention, this is like a we're talking about a paradigm shift.
0: Yeah, it's like another reframe or just changing the lens.
1: Really changing the lens. It also changes your moods and your feelings about it. Um, I would ask Jan to think about all of the all of the beautiful experiences, even take just one one beautiful experience with one of your dogs looking in their eyes or when the dog was talking to you, or being outside throwing a ball, or just the extraordinary beautiful, poignant intimacy of sleeping with them in your bed. And pull that into your heart. Breathe that into your heart. And even make a list of a lot of different experiences that you've had with them that you would like to celebrate. Because from my point of view, they're in doggy heaven. And doggy heaven is Mm -hmm. a place of great wonder, great playfulness, great equanimity, and they're looking at you going, We're having an incredible right. time up here. Mm-hmm. Why don't you remember how many incredible times we had down there? Mm. And this is what I'm going to speak for them for a minute. This is what we would like you to focus on from now on how wonderful it was when we were in each other's presence. So I'll leave it at that. Mm, beautiful. Were you doing a little channeling there? Yeah.
0: Um, and a lot of people would say the same about, uh, humans and, you know, we're being, we're not being flip here. We truly know this to be true, um, that whatever, whatever creatures and beings leave this place are fine. Um, and it's, it's us that's left with the, you know, with the pain and the suffering. So the idea of celebrating it, I mean, some people might say, well, that just hurts more to remember all the nice things. Um, but I think what you're saying is to lean into that, which is another big piece of what we're talking about today overall, which is leaning, honoring the good, and leaning into it and letting yourself feel that even more and more, because ultimately that does soften. And they say that the grieving process, which you know we've all been through in, in varying ways, that ultimately it will move. It does. It never leaves, but um, it moves from your head space, your heart space, to your head space, and it softens as time goes by.
1: Absolutely
0: and i would say that that process would probably um help to get to that place and the other thing too is i would i would imagine that you would probably apply not that we're comparing um the loss of a per, of a being to the loss of a job but for some people it it could be comparable um that really that technique seems to apply to every loss that somebody can suffer really there's no judgment as to what pain what what pain is commensurate with what situation or what loss right
1: no, I think in terms of how do we go forward in life
0: mm-hmm.
1: after facing an adversity or a loss, the way we go forward is to remember the goodness that we've experienced in life. Right. And to what we can count on in that way is our memory and our experience and how it uh, filled us up and how it strengthened us. And I'll go back to, and then we're going to our points, to Ernest Hemingway, which I've mentioned before. And he said, the world breaks everyone, but some become stronger in the broken places.
0: Love you, Ernest.
1: <laughs> He's in heaven looking at us Yes, right he now.
0: is. He is. Um, big fan, big, big fans, really. Yes, beautiful impact, and I love that quote as well. So our action steps, um, there's so much to cover. There's so many things we could say, because what we're just mostly, most recently coming out of with Jan's call is about the deeper versions of grief. But in some ways, we could say that anything that leads to uncertainty um, is stems from a place of loss, something that or a person or an experience or a thing that we were attached to and found great comfort in. And then when that blows up, trying to find some peace and some space and some leaning in in whatever way to what that circumstance is so some action steps we hope will help you at least get you on that um, get you on that way <clears throat> excuse me are to try to go back to a tough experience that created uncertainty in your life and retrace your steps and simply remember what you learned just go back and find a story that had some silver lining that's easy for you to recognize in the rearview mirror and just um pull it out of, pull it off the shelf and just sit with it and remember that you're capable of it and remember how Things might have gone differently that you feared when you're in the middle of it. The second one is to, um, there are a lot of great reading materials out there, um, but one of them, and we're thinking, I'm thinking about Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, who has beautiful, um, if anybody really needs help with uh, with, gr- with their grieve process, has some beautiful books on death and dying. But we were thinking about Pema Chodron's When Things Fall Apart, which is a seminal, beautiful book about uncertainty when you feel like your whole world has just shaken up and you have no footing and um, I think was sparked by a very difficult divorce that she experienced and got her on her her way to becoming a Buddhist nun and um, it's a really powerful book that was a real life changer for me and many others and thirdly imagine part of you that went through uncertainty and write a letter to that part of yourself so if you lost your job Last year, if you lost a loved one five years ago, I mean, whatever it might be, um, if you could sort of just sit with what that feeling felt like and what might be resolved and what might not be resolved and write a letter to that part of yourself, it's just another example of what Steve was suggesting earlier, which is to face these things because all these situations want us to just take the flashlight and shine it on all the little cavernous, uncomfortable shadowy parts of us that really is the, that's the key to all of these exercises really right is yeah, to whatever, get to whatever, know them
1: yeah whatever trouble we're having
0: mm-hmm. whatever
1: pain we're in all of that wants to be embraced by us Yep. and so that's a universal you can keep in your back pocket
0: Mm-hmm. for everything bottom line for everything <laughs> really as hard as it gets as difficult as it is the bottom line the more you sit with it Um, and let yourself face it the more you realize that it's actually a big gift staring in the face but it rarely feels that way until you walk through that so with that we want to thank everybody for listening you can find us on one soul radio on instagram facebook one soul radio podcasts please engage with us let us know topics and issues and questions you may have excuse me and we thank you for listening we'll see you next week